Hey everyone, September is National Suicide Prevention Month and today is World Suicide Prevention Day. Nearly 800,000 people die by suicide in the world each year, which is roughly one death every 40 seconds. Suicide is the second leading cause of death in the world for those aged 15 to 24. Today on Bold Life Out Loud, we're going to talk about the night I decided to take my life and how a random stranger changed my plans. Welcome to Bold Life Out Loud, one woman's journey about living outside the normalcy box and the people doing life with me. Here's to living an authentic, messy life and sharing truth of real life lessons instead of the constant perfection feed. I'm Bonnie and welcome to my bold life. I'm living out loud. Hi guys. What you are about to hear, some listeners may find distressing due to the description of physical violence. If that's you, please take caution as I navigate sharing certain experiences in this episode. Hey you guys, welcome to episode 3 of Bold Life Out Loud podcast. Today is World Suicide Prevention Day and I'm going to share with you a piece of my story Some of you may have heard before and some of you may be hearing for the first time ever. Part of my story is built around being a child abuse survivor and that abuse led me down a dark path I thought I had to take. When I was 16, I made the decision that I was going to kill myself. See, for over 16 years, the man that was supposed to protect, love, and guide me had been physically and sexually abusing me and I could no longer live that life I was living. Let me backtrack for you real quick and give you some behind the scenes information. I lived with my dad and stepmom full time and had lived there a majority of my life. I would visit my mom on weekends and a few times lived with her but would quickly return to my dad's house. Call it divorce parent guilt or identifying with my abuser. In that home, I was the oldest of four. I had two brothers and a sister. And for the sake of privacy and respect for my siblings, I'll only be using first initials of their names. So my brother D and I were my dad's main targets. I've tried for years to explain to my husband the mind games that stuck with me the longest. The scars that you can't see, the ones I replay, the ones that have been built into me. Like every time I hear an ice cream truck. I'm reminded about the time my dad found the bubblegum cigarettes I bought off the ice cream truck. You kids of the 90s know what I'm talking about. They looked like chalk sticks, but when you blew on them, this white dust came out of them. We thought we were cool. (laughs) You should not buy them for the taste because they were horrible. They were like that bubble gump or bubble double gum. It was just no flavoring after a few seconds. Anyways, my dad found them and he was pissed that I had bought them. Still to this day, I can't understand why he was so pissed. I mean, he himself was a smoker. Maybe it was one of those do what I say and not what I do moments. But he sat me in a chair in my room, did the smoker's pack, you know, when he hit the bottom of it three or four times. He took the brand new seal off and said we would not leave this this room until I smoked each and every one of the cigarettes in the pack. One after one, he would light, make me smoke it, and put it out. 
light it up, make me smoke it, and put it out. The whole pack. I was sick. I was so sick. My father's main go-to with my brother D was name-calling, belittling, the constant breaking down of who he was versus who he thought he should be. He should be a man's man, not emotional, not holding in the feelings, not crying. My sister E was daddy's princess. She could do no wrong. I remember this one time so vividly that my dad sat my sister down and gave her this huge bowl of ice cream and then had me and my brother sit around her and just tell us to watch her eat it because she was his favorite. And my brother N, my brother D, and me sat around her. My brother N was just too young for the abuse to play into his life during this time. I had a decent social life, meaning I played with the neighborhood kids, hung out with friends from school on the weekends. I had a constant flow of fi family floating around, but with each interaction, I lived in a constant fake it till you make it. I got in trouble for different things growing up, like talking too much in school, little white lies and stealing. I remember one time my stepmom asking me why I could not stay out of trouble. And I guess it was me hoping that someone would look a little deeper on why I was acting out. For those looking into my world, there were no huge red flags on my family life. I was just a normal troubled teen trying to balance family, boys, and all the fields of life. Leading up to this particular day, it had just been nonstop with him. At that time, I had a boyfriend. And he accused me of sneaking around with my boyfriend. He was very possessive of me. My grades were slipping. And so I had tried changing my grades on my report card. Because in our house, it was C's or better. Otherwise, I would suffer the consequence. Which, of course, he found the report card I was trying to change. Call it my teen years or call it his mental health. See, my dad was bipolar, and he was self-medicating with uppers and downers for years, which meant he was spinning out of control. I can go into more about that later. And the day he found my report card, he lost it. I had been in many and many physical altercations with him before. But this one, this one was different. I still remember the grip around my neck. I remember the, the pressure of his grasp. I could feel his pulse because his, of his pressure so much up against my, my neck. His grasp causing my face to get heavy yet also feel so light. I remember thinking in my head, I just need my feet to find something to help me. And my feet were trying to find something under them, yet always just being a little shy of a stare that would help me get balance to catch my breath. I remember at one point looking him in the eyes and still to this day the emptiness, yet the blackness, yet so much rage. They talk about life flashing before your eyes. 
And I can tell you, I can't tell you if my life actually flashed before my eyes. But what I can tell you was in a moment of time, I was fighting for my life, but at the same time, saw it slipping away. And in one moment, that all changed. He let go of my neck. My feet found the stairs. And he said to remember, just remember what he could do to me if he wanted. This was the moment that I knew I had to, I could no longer live like this. For 16 years, I had been dealing with being thrown through things, having things broken on me, taking other beatings from him, the mental abuse. I had hoped someone could, would catch him. I, I would hope for so many years someone caught on to what was going on with us to look a little deeper. But the truth was he was getting worse, more aggressive, sporadic with his attacks, and I knew I was going to die. But would it be at his hands or mine? I've shared before on Instagram post, he had taken so much of my life from me, but ending my life, that was the one thing I had and wanted to have control over. For years, he threatened me into silence. Be quiet. Keep our secret. If you do, tell anyone, you're going to die. I'm going to kill you. So this is where I started to plan my suicide. I genuinely believed I had no other way out. I hear people questioning how people can make that choice. But I truly believe until your final moments, we hope we're saved. We hope that the plans of ending our life are changed. But then we also have no more hope in the things and people around us. So what else are we supposed to do? My hope, my goal was that finally someone would look into my death, which meant they would have to look into my life, my life with him. Someone would finally have to take accountability for not being able to, to see, to see what had been going on for so many years. So one day while on my way to work, I ran through the details of my suicide. Each step closer to the to the doors of work brought me one more step closer to being free. This day felt different to me. What I mean by that is those life-changing days, those moments that we register in our forever memory, bring certain feelings, certain triggers, that when you look back on them now, you realize that feeling was something more. As I walked into work past the registers, making my way to the back to clock in, I passed our manager's office. See, today was different. The normal manager on duty was gone, and we had a substitute. As she sat in the manager's office, as I clocked in, she eventually walked into where I was clocking in, and she made eye contact with me, saying hi, introducing herself, and then a few minutes later, she asked me what was wrong. This complete stranger I had no interaction with on a day-to-day -day basis 
looked me in the eyes and saw something was wrong. And in that moment, the words left my lips. I had told her what had happened and I had told her what had been happening. And she looked at me. And she says, you have two options. You can call someone to get you out of that situation or I'm going to call the police. And I didn't want the police involved. I just wanted to get out. I remember making that phone call to my mom and just telling her, I can't do this anymore. I need to get out. I need to come to you. So, as I shared what was going on, I watched the people around me just look at me differently. I had broken down. I had cried. I had shared. And also in that moment that I thought that I would lose it all, that one person, that stranger in my life, changed my life forever. Soon after I made the phone call to my mom, my boyfriend at the time took me up to our house. My mom filed police reports. Um, and we started the process. We started trying to um, separate myself and make things happen. And it wasn't easy. Um, Abuse wasn't talked about as much back then, or it just wasn't looked at the same. And so the way it was dealt with was basically my father, um, of course, told everyone that I was lying, that I was just acting out. Um, My mom had asked for my things. And my father and my stepmom had said that I would not be getting any of my personal belongings back. Um, So my mom helped me file court documents to actually sue my father um, in family court to get my things back. I remember standing in court and having to talk to the judge and ask her to get just my personal, my clothes, my underwear, pictures of friends, um, yearbooks, things that belonged to me, things that were a part of me, I had to beg for. And the judge um, informed my father that he had to give me my things. A few days later, I went to go pick up my things um, from their front porch. It was covered in black bags, black garbage plastic bags. And everything in those bags were ruined. Pictures were ripped, perfume bottles 
were smashed. Clothes had holes in them. There weren't many things that survived that I got back. But I did. And getting freedom from a complete stranger is what helped me. It's what helps me say yes to the kids in care today. It's what helps me live out a truthful life. The day that I decided I wanted to die, the day I decided I was going to kill myself, was the same day that someone, stranger, in my community changed my life forever. So, my motto in life nowadays is to speak my truth, to live my life out loud, to hide nothing, because I had to for so many years. The reason the kids in my communities, I fight for them is because I was one of them. I didn't end up in the system. I had somewhere to go. But many kids don't in our communities. And so their things are bagged up and they're brought to a new home where someone will help them pick the pieces up and eventually put them back together. I truly believe that the interactions that we have in our community, that's what changes. That's what changes people. A smile, a glance, a hello. How are you doing? These are the words that affirm and that bring change. So here's what I want you to know as you walk out your day to day. We have no clue what is going on behind closed doors. We have no clue what is going on in people's lives. So if you get offended or you're having a bad day, remember your interactions have purpose. There's a greater plan than just you. Remember to smile. Remember to do and be good. And remember to give grace. Because your words, your affirmations could help someone that's on the edge change their life forever. You can be the stranger that says, I see you and I'm with you. So today, thanks for listening to this episode and stay tuned for the next one. My hope, the lesson that I'm sharing with you today is you, yes, you were called for greatness. Your greatness of a smile, your greatness of your words, your greatness of to be able to literally speak life into others when they have lost all hope. This, of course, is just a small snippet of the trauma in my childhood. But thank you for coming along with me on this bold life being lived out loud and helping me change the conversation in our culture. Thanks for listening to this episode and stay tuned for the next one. Please know if you're struggling and need someone to talk to, the National Suicide Prevention Hotline provides 24-7 free and confidential support for people in crisis. You can call them at 800-273-8255. So think about all those things we talked about today. Stay tuned for more episodes. Make sure you follow, like, and share with your friends the Bold Life Out Loud podcast. And make sure to find me on Instagram at Geronimo Project. 
I want to hear your comments, questions. Let me know what you think and what you want to hear because you are not alone on this journey. So continue to live out loud and I will see you next time on Bold Life Out Loud podcast.